This is Psych, Wine, and Pop Culture, a podcast brought to you by two best friends, Kristen and Heather. Join us for a glass of wine, providing a psychological perspective on popular TV shows and movies. And candid conversations about mental health. This podcast is not meant to replace or supplement medical advice from a health practitioner. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to get started on this episode. It's been one that we have been waiting to do since like literally the first conversation we ever had talking about doing a podcast. Yep. We almost wanted to do it before this, but we're like, come on, we have to wait until Halloween. Yeah, it definitely was more of a Halloween type episode. Um, But there's so many other mental health things that are going to be incorporated in this episode, even though we're talking about totally fictional characters like vampires. Exactly. So we're going to cover a lot of stuff. It's going to be super fun. And I hope you guys enjoy this. Yes, it's going to be way different than all of our other episodes. (laughs) We've been talking about super serious stuff lately. We're so sorry. I mean, I'm I'm sure we got some good feedback. People loved it. But let's kind of you know, make it fun. You know, we're going to talk about vampires, like who doesn't like vampires. I mean, some people don't, but we do. So too bad for you guys that don't. (laughs) I know. We were were, like, seriously, we're going to be so crushed if this episode has the lowest number of (laughs) listens because of how (laughs) excited we are to do this episode and how much we love vampires. Yeah, we watch way too many vampire shows, as you guys will see. (laughs) Are vampires your favorite supernatural creature? I'm going to say yes. The one behind that, I would say, is like a mermaid. I love mermaids. Are they supernatural or are they mythical? I mean, I've heard of them as mythology, but also they're supernatural because some of them I've heard had like powers. I even think they're in Vampire Diaries. Maybe. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, but they're they're not like mermaids with the tail and they're like in the water, right? But they're sirens. Yeah, yeah. I would say that vampires are my favorite supernatural creature just because they have so many like characteristics that make them really interesting, really interesting to think about, you know, like their motivations, their behaviors, you know, just how they are. I think that they're fascinating. And it's it's really funny how a lot of mental health stuff we're going to be talking about are so applicable to Mm -hmm. vampires like as if they're real (laughs) yeah yeah if they were real and you guys might be shocked you might not be but we're going to be talking about the psychopathology of vampires psychopathology simply means the scientific study of mental disorders and it features of people's mental health considered collectively and mental and behavioral disorders yes so you know in general vampires are destructive they're irrational impulsive and emotionally unstable creatures. These characteristics amplify to a deadly degree when they're feeling triggered or malnourished. Their constant hunger for blood can cause extreme irritability. Because their most nourishing meal is a result of taking a human life, the ones who are conscience-stricken can become depressed from their guilt. Vampires often exhibit homicidal and psychopathic tendencies and develop a lack of regard for human life as they begin to acknowledge their immortality and their supernatural powers, valuing their own lives above humans, who they see as a weaker species. All of these things contribute to a variety of reasons why the psychopathology of vampires makes such an interesting topic. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about vampires from pop culture, such as Lestat and Louis from Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles, and the film Interview with the Vampire from 1994. We're also going to be assessing the characters Stefan and Damon Salvatore from the CW television series. We'll be mentioning a little bit about the HBO series True Blood, and we'll even be talking a little bit about Stephanie Meyer's beloved vampires from the Twilight series. So as Kristen mentioned, there are a lot of mental health issues going on with vampires, and we're going to be comparing many of their traits to real disorders. So I want to make sure we let people know what our intentions are with this episode. So some of the mental health conditions that we're going to be talking about are ones like bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, 
antisocial personality disorder, and some others as well. And again, we also want to note that these examples from pop culture are extreme fictional examples, and it doesn't mean actual people with these disorders act exactly like the characters we mention. Again, we just want to be compassionate, let our listeners know our intentions aren't to invalidate or make fun or light of any of the real conditions we'll be mentioning in this episode. We'll be merely assessing these characters from what we see in movies and TV. Okay, so before we get started, let's talk about the wine that we brought today. Honestly, I'm so excited for the episode, but also (laughs) I'm excited for this wine because I read the notes on there and I'm just dying to try it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well then you go first. All right, so for you guys who are listening, I left the cork, so you guys are going to hear that cork pop, because that's one of my favorite sounds, as you guys know. Ooh, my so. favorite, too. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then my second favorite sound is the pouring. Oh, okay. I can already smell this. <laughs> All right. So let's first talk about the bottle. So the bottle is really beautiful. So it's kind of like a sapia tone, kind of black and white. And it has butterflies on it. And the wine is called True Myth. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon. (laughs) (laughs) And it's from Paso Robles. There's like a little word on the top. And it says, her secret is patience. And you can barely see it. So it's like they're trying to hide it. (laughs) So if you really look at it, you can see that that's what they're trying to say. So it's a beautiful girl on there. You can kind of see half of her face. And there's a bunch of orange, red butterflies. And it just looks like Halloween to me. So that's why I picked it. On the back of the wine, it actually has a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Oh, I love him. I love him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's the author of uh, Self-Reliance. He's like one of my favorite essayists. I love Ralph Waldo Emerson. I still quote from him all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, when I saw this, I knew you were going to love this. So the quote is, adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) All right. So what this wine has is... Cabernet Sauvignon, as I stated, loaded with blackberry, cherry, and, wait for it, cola flavors. Cola? Like Coca-Cola? Yeah. Wow, that's weird. I've never heard of a wine that said it had cola flavors. And it tells me to taste and believe. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm going to try to believe this. (laughs) So, for Kristen, the alcohol percentage, (laughs) 14.2%. Oh, hell yeah. That's that's a good one. I'm trying it now. This is crazy. Does it really taste like Coca-Cola? It kind of freaking does. What the heck? It does. It tastes like Coca-Cola a little bit. But it's like cherry Coca-Cola to me. Oh, ew. I mean, is it good? But it's good. (laughs) No, it's good. I'm serious. This is crazy. You know what this would be great with? What? Some carne asada tacos. And then your cherry Coca-Cola wine on the side. (laughs) You know what? Anything goes good with tacos, but that sounds like it would really go good with tacos. Oh, dude, that's really good. It's really, really smooth. But like street legit tacos, not like, you know. Well, taco bueno. (laughs) (laughs) Some real, real tacos. Yeah, for sure. So my wine is a pretty well-known brand called Menage a Trois. And this is from their Midnight Collection. So it's a dark red blend from California. I thought it went really well with the theme of our episode because there were a lot of words on this bottle that were like, you know, dark magic, darkness, stuff like that, stolen kisses. So it kind of made me think of vampires in a way. Mm -hmm. When I looked up the reviews... There were a lot of reviews on different websites, and the majority of them were really high with a lot of people who reviewed. So hundreds of reviews that were like 4.5 to 5 stars. So I was really excited because I didn't know that before I bought it. It looks like there's a few wines in here. It is a red blend. So California Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Petite Syrah, and Petite Verdot. And it looks like there are blackberry flavors and velvety flavors and even mocha flavors. 
some spicy mm. plum flavors that wow they, yeah it's- lots of weird flavors that the bottle says and the website says it has so i'm gonna see if that's true I also left the pouring to be live on here because I know how much you like the sound. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> Whoa, that was a good pour. It made me a little tingly. <laughs> I did it really close to the mic <laughs> so I could capture all of it. Oh, my goodness. I think it lives up to the hype. I think it does. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. I'm going to have to get that one too. On the palette, it's really bold, but not in like an overbearing way or anything. I don't really agree with the spiced plum. I don't really taste the spiciness. I've had ones that are more spicy than this. Mm -hmm. The berry flavors um, definitely kind of like has this velvetiness to it. Um, but I think it, it really does live up to the hype. It's a really good wine. I, I don't really know what kind of food this would pair with, honestly. Like, I would just have it by itself. Well, that's a good wine to drink it by itself then. So is it smooth? Does it kind of, like, last in, like, your palate a little bit? It does last in my palate a little bit, um, but it's not too tart because sometimes I, I don't like when that, you know, you get that weird feeling on your tongue where it's just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's why I asked, because I don't like wines like that. <laughs> Me neither, but I like that it's a dark purpley color, too. And I'm just kind of swiveling it around in my glass. When you hold it up to the light, you can just kind of see how plum purple it is. It's really cool. Mine's like a more of a reddish purple, and I'm getting like vampire blood vibes. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of perfect for our topic today. So... Mm-hmm. Let's get started because we're so excited. So we're going to start with my personal favorite vampire. We'll get to your favorite vampire a little bit later on. But, you know, I feel like everyone has their favorites. And my favorite is the vampire Lestat. I can't believe he's your favorite. He's, like, really mean. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I love him. He gives no fucks. That's true. He does not give any. (laughs) (laughs) And of all the vampires, I think he gives the least amount of fucks. Mm-hmm. So the vampire Lestat is a character from Anne Rice's novels. She has several novels that are called the Vampire Chronicles, but the very first one came out in 1976, and that was Interview with the Vampire, which you guys will probably know was a movie later on in 1994 where Tom Cruise portrayed Lestat in the film, and that movie also had Brad Pitt, who he co-starred with, who played Louis. And also Kirsten Dunst, that was one of her first major roles where she was, you know, a little girl. I want to say she's around, Mm -hmm. you know, preteen-ish age. Mm -hmm. And um, so she was in that movie too. So Lestat can probably be most accurately described as narcissistic, defiant, vain, impulsive, possessive, dangerous, selfish, manipulative, dishonest, deceitful, and he has no value for human life. He often kills for fun, and he tortures his victims before taking their life. So Interview with the Vampire is set in the 1790s and follows the story of Louis, a vampire turned by Lestat, and the child they turn, Claudia. Even though Lestat doesn't necessarily care for them, he's extremely possessive of them. And out of all the vampires we're talking about today, I would definitely describe him as the one who exhibits the most psychopathic tendencies. Wow. That whole summary right there was a good analysis. All of those things, I'm like hearing a lot of, you know, narcissism already from what you were saying in that example. So I think we should go ahead and define what you were talking about. So you kind of talked about psychopath, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's go ahead and define that first. I didn't really know too much about it because this is not my area of expertise. I'm not a forensic psychologist. However, even like doing research, it feels like psychologists don't really know how to define a psychopath or a sociopath. They get them mixed up or like they're used interchangeably. There's like really not a clear like cut definition for those two types of psychopaths or sociopaths. One thing about psychopaths is they're unable to form emotional attachments. Sociopaths can form emotional attachments. When it comes to psychopaths, they're a little bit more meticulous 
They are impulsive, but they're more careful about how they're impulsive. So when you talked about Lestat, you stated like how he killed. It sounds like he was kind of meticulous about the way he killed. Like he had to do it in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely meticulous. He's strategic because he even teaches Louis, you know, how not to get caught, how to do it in a way that doesn't draw too much attention to you. Another thing about psychopaths as well, from what I was reading, is that research tends to say that they're born this way. So it's like something genetic. Typically, like someone in the family has these tendencies and then, you know, their children can have it versus sociopaths are more from their environment. So like if you've had trauma or a lot of abuse or a lot of family dysfunction, that's more relative to becoming a sociopath in that sense. Okay. So it's kind of like a nature versus nurture thing going on here Mm -hmm. between psychopaths and sociopaths. Okay. Exactly. So I would even say here with Lestat, I mean, how was he before he was a vampire? I think he was, I think he was still an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Good way to put it. All right. So it was, let's go ahead and let's say um, judgment call. Let's call him a psychopath. He's not a sociopath, right? I don't think so, because you say that, uh-uh. I, I mean, I know for sure that he can't form emotional attachments. I would say he's more of a psychopath. Agreed, agreed. So some other things uh, to differentiate between psychopaths and sociopaths is sociopaths are impulsive too. However, sociopaths are more erratic, so they may not think through their decisions. So obviously Lestat is a little bit more, like you said, strategic, he's a little bit more Um, aware of how he wants to do things so sociopaths are definitely not that way they're a little bit more erratic in their behavior okay so i do want to note that psychopaths do not have a sense of morality on the other hand sociopaths have a sense of morality so they're more likely to have a better understanding from right versus wrong okay so then that definitely seals the deal then like he's he's got to be a psychopath i say yeah (laughs) if we had like a little you know judge you know, thing, a little sound. I would love to put that in there. Of the, ga- okay, the gavel? <laughs> a little gavel, yeah, the little gavel. <laughs> so another thing that you were talking about with Lestat that kind of rang some bells was antisocial personality disorder. All right, so you talked about like he, you know, is kind of dishonest. He doesn't really value human life. So antisocial personality disorder defined is basically disregarding or violating the rights of others. So a person with antisocial personality may not conform to social norms and they like to lie or they enjoy lying or deceiving people and they typically act very impulsively. Oh my gosh, that is Lestat to a T. To a T. Right? That's all he does. <laughs> he All he does is lie, deceive others, and he does this for fun. He likes to mess with mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he doesn't, he doesn't want to follow like social norms like i'm gonna kill who i want to kill you know i'm gonna do x y and z i don't care what you think so definitely he has some antisocial tendencies yes and he has a total lack of remorse for anything he really does (laughs) yeah i don't think i've ever saw him feel guilty no and if he did it was more of like in a mocking sort of way Mm -hmm. yeah exactly which is antisocial personality (laughs) (laughs) All right, so some other things that also you mentioned with Lestat that also rang some bells with another personality disorder is narcissistic personality. So narcissistic personality disorder is basically people who need a lot of admiration. Um, They lack empathy. They are typically really grandiose about themselves, which basically means that they feel like they're on top of the world. They feel like they're the bad bitch or the bad, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're always... Mm -hmm. you know, better than everybody else. Um, They feel like they're super important. They have like this sense of entitlement and they kind of take advantage of others, which I feel like Lestat does, right? He uses Louis a lot of the time to make him feel better, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And definitely I would say Lestat has these narcissistic tendencies. You know, he definitely feel, I even think he became a rock star, right? Yes, I was going to bring that up. So even though he knows that this is supposed to be a secret that they're vampires, he still kind of puts him, his self-interest ahead of the 
pack, so to speak. So like all other vampires, the whole vampire species, he endangers because he becomes a rock star. His character as the rock star is that, oh, he is a vampire. So basically, he's telling everybody the truth. But all humans don't believe that vampires exist. So I think it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick, exactly. But the va- it pisses all the other vampires off. And he wants that excessive ad- admiration from his fans, too, which oh. is part of narcissistic personality. You don't think so? Yes, absolutely. And he and even like on a more like a smaller scale, he wants Louis to admire him. He wants Louis to worship him. He wants Louis to need him all the time. Like he doesn't want to tell Louis too much about what it's like being a vampire. You know, like these are your weaknesses. These are your strengths. Because the more Louis knows and finds out about what it's like to be a vampire, what that means, he won't need Lisette anymore to give him answers. It's kind of like almost like dependency. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. We, we can probably talk about that a little bit later in another <laughs> example. But let's go on to the next one. Okay. So the next few examples are from the Vampire Diaries. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I love this show. Don't judge me. <laughs> I love this show too. And, you know, when you came to visit not too long ago, I just love that we could just indulge in these episodes. I mean, eight seasons and we just like, it's like our guilty pleasure. And it was such a great like bonding experience for us to watch this show together. And I'll let you guys know, that wasn't the first time. We've rewatched it several times, and we wanted to watch it again together. That's how much we love this show. <laughs> yeah, we love this show. So The Vampire Diaries was originally a book series by L.J. Smith, and it was adapted into a television series on CW from 2009 to 2017, and it was eight seasons long. And one of the main characters is Stefan Salvatore. So we're going from Lestat to the other side of the spectrum. Because Stefan is completely different than Lestat. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So Stefan Salvatore was a teenager in the Civil War times. And a little bit about him. He's often self-destructive and exhibits a lot of disdain for himself and his actions. Stefan consumes animal blood, refusing to kill humans due to his feelings of guilt But that's also because he has impulse control issues, which are not much different than that of an addict. Once he tries human blood, he finds it hard to stop. And throughout his lifetime, he was called the Ripper. So he was known for feeding so hard on his victims' necks that their heads would just fall off. And because he felt remorseful for what he did, he would try to place the head back on the victims' bodies once he was done. And despite his constant relapses, which put many innocent humans in grave danger, Stefan is still very self-righteous, especially towards his brother Damon. Wow, beautiful summary. And that last part that you said, that was the part that always would get me about him that I just hated about him. Like he would go back and forth like, you know, poor me, poor me. But then like he tried to be better than Damon and saying like, I'm better than you. So definitely a little bit of... Some things going on there when yeah. it comes to personality disorders, actually. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, before you get started, I just want to note that Damon's a vampire, too. And the thing is, Damon does the same things that Stefan does, but Damon doesn't try to make it seem like like there's something wrong because it's a part of his nature. Whereas mm-hmm. Stefan's always trying to say you should be ashamed of yourself for the things that you do. But then he does the same things, you know, so it's kind of like calling the... Mm. What do they say? Calling the kettle black? Exactly. Yep. Yep. All right. So as Kristen stated, you know, Stefan is a ripper. So he goes between these extremes of being really good and also really bad. So in the show, you know, he's being good by not feeding on people. So he actually feeds on animal blood mm-hmm. and he's kind of like a recovering addict in a sense. Mm-hmm. But then he falls off the wagon and then, you know, he starts having human blood again And he goes through these, you know, extremes where he lacks remorse. You know, he kills people without even thinking about it. And again, like he's marrying that same behavior like an addict. So once he has that little, little taste of blood, there's really no stopping him. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Through your summary, you know, you said some things. And I feel like Stefan is borderline personality disorder. This is the one 
that Heather loves to talk about. She's fascinated with this one. All right. So borderline personality disorder basically is someone who has a lot of trouble in their interpersonal relationships. So sometimes they have a lot of conflict like with their partners or friends or family members. Their self-image is also very rocky. So what that basically that means is that they just don't know who they are. Like they're always questioning who they are. Like, okay, am I, am I a good person? Am I a bad person, for example? The other things they also do as well is that they're super impulsive. They also have this excessive fear of abandonment, which is kind of like a hallmark of borderline personality disorder. So with those things in mind, okay, we know that Stefan has pretty limited impulse control. (laughs) 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 Like that's just already there. So that's that's part of borderline personality. Um, The other thing is that his self-image, he goes, you know, between being like this good self-righteous guy like he has to love his girlfriend and you know do everything for her and save her but then he goes through these extremes where I'm a terrible person and you know I should feel guilty for turning my brother into a vampire (laughs) 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 yeah you're laughing because we always talk about this Um, but that's definitely like that self-image is kind of rocky it goes between good and bad a lot And then I kind of say he has this fear of abandonment. What do you think? Absolutely. He definitely does. He's kind of clingy, you know? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) He is a little clingy. Like, it's weird, though, because he kind of dislikes Damon. You know? know? I know. But he's like, kind of like, can't live with him, can't live without him. Yep, exactly. You can't live with him, and you can't live without him. So... You know, he just can't let that, you know, part of him go. You know, he's very connected to his brother and he tries at all costs to repair his relationship with his brother. And I think that's basically noting that he has this fear of like losing his brother or this fear of abandonment. Okay, so you've, you guys have heard us talk about Damon a lot. And, you know, personally, he's my other favorite vampire. I'm team Damon all the way in Vampire Diaries. <laughs> what about you? Hey, okay, if you're talking about Team Damon between Damon and Stefan, I'm definitely a Damon, okay? Yeah. But I love Klaus, which is another <laughs> vampire in the Vampire Diaries. Yeah, okay, we're going to get to Klaus. Damon, he, he's an interesting guy. Uh, he isn't by any means perfect, but the thing is, he doesn't pretend to be, you know? At the beginning of the series, he kind of holds his vendetta against Stefan for turning him into a vampire in the first place. And he made a vow to forever reign terror on Stefan's life for turning him. And much like Lestat, Damon is vengeful, deceitful, and manipulative. But the difference between them is that throughout the show, Damon begins rehabilitating in some ways. And much of his good traits are very encouraged by his love, Elena. Very true. Through that, you know, you have some key words in there. You know, he is um, a little deceitful. You know, he I think he likes to lie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He likes to get away with not telling the truth. So there could be some antisocial personality disorder in there, I think, with him. A little bit, Similar. a little bit, but he can form attachments. Yes, he can form attachments. So he's not a psychopath. He does. He does know the difference between right and wrong. Definitely. Um, I think there's this one episode where he is stuck in like this dungeon and there's another vampire there and you can tell he feels really guilty about leaving the other vampire there in the dungeon because it was getting tortured oh right and then i think the place goes on fire and and he couldn't save them so he just decides to save himself and Mm -hmm. then that vampire comes back and hates him and kind of does a daemon on him (laughs) (laughs) and does a daemon exactly (laughs) So he definitely knows the difference between right and wrong. He actually wanted to go back, but he just wasn't able to. So, you know, potentially he is a sociopath. Um, I would also say Damon and Stefan, they don't have any close friends. So I feel like they're really kind of codependent on each other. Oh, they're super codependent. Like, I really never see them hanging out with, I mean, of course, they're vampires, but, like, they really don't have any other attachments besides, like, Elena, which is their true love. No, well, I, I disagree, because Damon always says that Caroline's mom was his best friend. He was very attached to her, and he was mm. attached to Rick, you know, Alaric, okay. their teacher. So he does have those two besties, but Stefan never has a bestie. 
Okay, you're right. All right, I would say Damon is more adaptive than Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> but some other things with Damon is that he has a bunch of sex. You know, he's kind of like an infomaniac. He has sex with a lot of girls. He does reckless driving, really <laughs> reckless driving. I think he almost wanted to, like, he was in the middle of the road wanting a car to run over him. So he's definitely very, very impulsive. And I feel like this also is a part of borderline personality disorder as well. So borderline personality individuals are impulsive, um, but they also have this thing where they're kind of self-destructive. So I feel Damon engages in that, you know, a lot of sex, a lot of reckless driving because he's trying to self-destruct. I feel like he is one who does bad things in the beginning because he he doesn't think he deserves good things. Like he doesn't believe he deserves Elena's love, you know, because Elena's a really good person. Mm -hmm. And he thinks, no, Stefan's the good guy, you know, in our in our family. Yeah, he should be with, you know, Elena because Elena's a good person. Then he realizes mm -hmm. like, wait, now I do deserve love. I deserve to be with somebody like Elena. Why doesn't a guy like me get to be with somebody like her? Yeah, he had a lot of character development throughout the show. And that's why he's one of my favorite characters. But I think you made a good point that, you know, for a while, he just didn't think he was deserving of love. And that kind of also has a little bit to go with borderline personality. A lot of individuals with borderline personality also feel like chronically empty, which I think you see that a lot in his engagement of like all of those sexual relationships. Like it was just doing it, but really there was nothing there. He right. Was just trying to fill the void that he had. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like brother, like brother. <laughs> <laughs> I think Damon and Stefan both have this fear of abandonment of losing each other. So, which is another hallmark of borderline personality. Okay, so now we're going to talk about <laughs> Heather's favorite, favorite vampire. You can't judge me for loving Lestat when you freaking love Klaus. Okay. But I feel like Klaus has a more loving nature to him. <laughs> How is he loving? He's, he's fucking psycho. Okay, he's a little bit, you know, psychopathic. <laughs> But, you know, when he falls in love, you know, I don't see Lestat fall in love like, you know, Klaus does. Okay, so Klaus is in the Vampire Diaries. He is one of the original vampires. So there's like the original ones that are the beginning of the species. Even though all vampires are immortal, the originals cannot be killed, not even by things that regular vampires can be killed by. They can only be killed with like one thing. Let's say that they are staked. They can still, their body can still be kept in like a coffin and preserved in a way. And as long as you take that stake out, they'll still come back alive. They're indestructible. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're indestructible. So knowing that, I mean, the originals think that they're just the most badass vampires there are out there. But specifically Klaus, um, being one brother of how many are in their family? There's like five Five. I would say five. Mm -hmm. So they have all brothers and one sister. I mean, he just, he's got a lot going on. He is just one of the most dangerous characters in the Vampire Diaries. I would say he was like, out of all the scary themes that they had or threats or enemies, I think Klaus was the, he was the scariest. Thanks for summarizing Klaus. So with Klaus, I think um, he has a couple things going on. I definitely think he's an extreme example of bipolar disorder, bipolar one, and also borderline personality disorder. That's a lot. So in real life, people can be diagnosed with both. Um, oh. Sometimes they get confused. Sometimes um, borderline personality disorders are sometimes diagnosed bipolar. Sometimes they're diagnosed, you know, if you have bipolar, you're diagnosed with borderline. So they're very similar, but there is some cases where people can have both too. So bipolar disorder is basically when someone is having a lot of mood fluctuation, they have like really intense mood swings, they're irritable, agitated, um, they go through these highs and lows. So in their highs, it's called mania. So in this mania, they feel like they're invincible, they're on top of the world, they feel like they could do anything. And then in those manic episodes, they can be really impulsive, which I think Klaus does. Oh, yeah. He's super impulsive. Yeah, and he can go into a blind rage. He could be triggered by anything. That's a great example. Yeah, I think in his blind rages, 
he could be in those like manic episodes. And with bipolar disorder, I think with Klaus, I think also those intense mood swings, because he's having them, I think he also has a little bit of depression too. Like he gets down in the dumps about being like the lone wolf, the lone wolf. You know what I mean? Oh, but then he, that's kind of like a pun because he is half wolf. Forgot to mention that. Oh, yeah, we did forget to mention that. He's a hybrid. Yeah, he's half Mm -hmm. werewolf, half vampire. So he really never feels accepted by his family. So he does go through some bouts of like depression. But I would say in more cases, he's more of in these intense, um, more upper level moods. And he can like turn on a dime. Like something could just trigger him. And he just yells really loudly. Like, I wish I could do an impression of him, but he'll, like, yell at his sister, Rebecca! (laughs) And, like, he'll, like, you know, grab her by the neck, which is super, super aggressive. And, like, he also has this fear of abandonment with his sister and his brothers where he puts them in coffins. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. So he finds the thing, the one dagger thing that can kill them. And... Mm -hmm. And as long as that dagger stays in them, they'll stay dead until you pull it out. And this is how bad it is. Like, he will do that just to do it. And so I think he kept Rebecca in a coffin like that for, like, what was it? Like, it was like 80 years or something, right? Oh, yeah. It was long. (laughs) It was long. I feel bad for her. So that's definitely impulsive. Like, he would just do that on a dime, which is part of bipolar disorder. They're very reactive. Um, I would say Klaus, like I would say 80% of the time he's agitated, irritable, and impulsive. So he's in those manic episodes a lot. And we also wanted to touch on, you know, the way he like engages with his brothers and sisters. It's kind of like domestic violence. Yeah. I mean, you definitely see a lot of uh, cycles where things are good, then things are bad. And they go back to being good again. And because Mm -hmm. he's feeling good, the rest of his family is very reactive to him. So, you know, like when things are good, they don't want to piss him off. You know, that's that's perfect. Like you're walking on eggshells. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, with it being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, October, I'm glad that we brought this up. And there are differences between domestic violence and intimate partner violence which we talked about Mm -hmm. in our very first episode with the show on netflix you Mm -hmm. so i was hoping you could kind of uh talk about those differences again yeah well i think um sometimes domestic violence i guess gets misconceived as like partner to partner violence so like a husband and a wife you know beating on each other vice versa whatever that is you know whoever's doing the um you know, aggressing, I guess you could say. But domestic violence could also be, you know, in family relationships. So, you know, brother to sister, sister to brother, brother to brother. So it is not only about like the couple, but it's also it could be within the family too. Right. Even though intimate partner violence is a type of domestic violence, Mm -hmm. that is specifically between significant others. And whereas domestic violence could be anything in the family. So if it's like a brother to a sister, a sister to a brother, you know, an aunt to a nephew or, you know. Exactly. So it's just a little bit more of a general term. Right. But I definitely Mm -hmm. see some domestic violence happening in their home because they're always, you know, tiptoeing around Klaus. And I would definitely classify him as the perpetrator. Oh, he's definitely the perpetrator. (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's like episodes with his, I think, I don't know if it's his older brother, but Elijah, they go at it. Like they're throwing tables and chairs and things. That's, I mean, that's domestic violence. I mean, you know, you see it on pop culture and TV shows, but, you know, in real life, that's real, you know, violence. It's occurring in the home. Absolutely. And the other misconception is that, Domestic violence is just physical violence, but it's not. It's It can be mental abuse, verbal mm-hmm. abuse, psychological abuse, financial abuse. You know, basically anybody who's trying to belittle someone else in those kinds of ways. And I definitely see that with 
with Klaus. He verbally abuses them all, all the time, telling them that they're worthless, you know, that they're nothing. But then at the same time- They're never going to survive without him. That they can't survive without him. So, you know, he's telling these things to them. Then he goes the other way sometimes, and he's just like, I love my family. I'll do anything for my family. So, I don't know about Klaus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Klaus is a- he goes back and forth a lot, so- We cover a lot of themes with him, but I did say borderline personality disorder as well. So he does have that fear of abandonment, which we talked about where he'll put his brothers and sisters into coffins to control them so they won't leave, Mm -hmm. basically, which I think that's fear of abandonment. Um, He's also impulsive. And I think he has a lot of self-image issues because he goes back and forth between, am I more a vampire or am I more of a werewolf? Yeah, I would definitely say that he goes back and forth. But then, like you said, fear of abandonment, I think that kind of plays into how he tries to create that whole race of hybrids so that they can all be loyal to him. Ooh, that's a good example. You're right. That is true. Like, basically, he wants to create the, that pack of werewolves. And there's this thing in the show, where if you create a werewolf, they kind of have like this undying loyalty to you. It's like through blood or something like that. Yeah. But they're half werewolf, half vampire like him. So they're like forced in a sense to follow him. And basically it's like ensuring that he'll never be abandoned. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) It's crazy. Oh, man. Wow. So that's Klaus. And that's my favorite one. I know. See, I like him because he's complex. You know what I mean? He's got a lot going on. Oh, yeah. He definitely (laughs) has a lot going on. You know, we couldn't have this episode without talking about Twilight. I know. I know. You wanted to leave Twilight out. You're like, I'm over it. <laughs> I'm over Twilight. I don't know. I just, I don't know why, but I am. I'm sorry, guys. Well, but you know, you Twilight fans, uh, you know, I'm not judging you guys. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I grew up you, when Twilight was coming up, you know? So when I was like 12, 13, that's when Twilight came out. So I was into that. That was a little bit past your time. I know that was prime for you. Like that came out for that age. You know what I mean? Right. So like you said, like I was older and I'm like, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I I liked it and I was always team Edward. So I don't really remember a whole lot about Twilight, to be honest, guys. Like I didn't even watch the movies. I just read the books. You know, that was when I was like a preteen. So it was like more than 10 years ago. But from what I can remember... There are a lot of parallels between Louis from Interview with the Vampire and Stefan from Vampire Diaries with Edward from Twilight. They kind of all have similar characteristics. You know, they feel sorry for themselves and sometimes hate what they are. And they often cling to their humanity and the life that they had before they turned. Edward, he has a strong sense of loyalty to his family. And, you know, I feel like he has a he has a big support system with his family. You know, he has a mom and a dad and he has siblings and they all encourage each other and help each other out. So I think that there's a difference because Stefan and Louis, they don't really have that. So do you think that makes a difference? Like if somebody does have borderline personality disorder, does it make a difference if they have that support structure? Do you mean in real life? Yeah. I would say with any psychological condition, like with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, borderline personality, even like chronic depression, I mean, research shows whenever you have a really good support network, so like family, friends who really support you, or you have like that closeness with them where you're able to be vulnerable and talk with them, you tend to have a better outcome in your diagnosis. So you tend to either get better or are better able to manage your symptoms. So going in the opposite direction, sometimes we do see support structures with vampires, but they're not the healthiest. So we'll see like clans of them. They're all vampires who bond with each other, but they're more like destructive groups. So for instance, like in the Vampire Chronicles, um, you see a little bit of this in Interview with the Vampire, but there's this vampire theater troupe. And Mm -hmm. they're really evil. So, you know, this is back in the 1790s. So they have, you know, live theater. And all these people will pack the theater to come watch this theater troupe that they don't know that they're vampires. But they play characters that are evil. And what they'll do is they'll get an actual human 
on stage with them and they all feed on her oh. in front of a live audience, but the okay. audience thinks it's a show. They don't think, they think it's acting. That's messed up. Yeah. And so, you know, because they're a group, they all support the same values, right? But those values aren't mm-hmm. necessarily healthy or good. So another example is from True Blood. Or the, I think it's in the first season when Suki meets some of Bill's vampire acquaintances. They're just like this group of vampires who stick together. So Suki says, Bill, like they're really mean. And so he just has to break it down for her. And he's like, yeah, you know, this is what's called a nesting. So this is what he says. When vampires live in nests, they become more cruel and vicious. They become laws unto themselves. Whereas vampires, such as I, who live alone, are much more likely to hold on to some semblance of our former humanity. Wow. Okay. So you provide so many great examples in there. So some things that rang off for me is these nesting vampires are definitely antisocial. So they're impulsive. Like they did that, you know, whole theater troupe thing and engaged in killing someone on stage. They're very reckless, um, obviously very, very aggressive. And they really don't disregard, they disregard human life. Like they don't really care about, you know, what people are seeing. Yeah. They just go ahead and do it. And then also, you said shared values, which I think has a lot to do with cult behavior. Oh, hell yes. Again, if you guys haven't listened to our cult episode on the Manson family, go ahead and check that one out. We do talk about some cult behaviors. Absolutely. So I think these um, vampires that you're talking about who nest definitely have some cult behavior where, you know, they share the same values, you know, because, you know, they're all vampires and they're all doing the exact same things like, you know, drinking human blood you know, killing individuals, it's kind of like reinforcing that behavior and to even escalate a little bit more, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is kind of what happens in cults, you know, because you see the other person do it, it's like, well, that must be okay. And let's go ahead and do some more and maybe escalate that. Oh my God, that is cults. So we kind of wrapped up our pop culture examples and we'd like to just talk about vampire nature in general. And how some of the factors of their existence can contribute to mental illness. Like if it was a real thing, you know, if Mm -hmm. a human became a vampire and they were immortal and they have these supernatural powers and their very nature and survival requires them to hunt and kill other human beings. Well, let's start off with immortality. So if you think about it, you know, you have like, what, a thousand year old vampires, you know, they go through life, they're going through this cycle of like constantly feeding. So it just becomes, I think, normal to them to kill. Like they're kind of like desensitized to killing to the value of human life over time. (laughs) I would say that they would be desensitized to any social norms. That's true. And I think that has to do with being, you know, immortal in the sense where You know, I can do whatever I want and really nothing's going to happen to me. I can just do anything. So who cares about social norms? So what do you think their grandiose at this point would be like through the roof? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I think that's true for what we've been talking about today. Like if you look at the older vampires, they're like that. Oh, yeah. They're very grandiose. Klaus, all his brothers and sisters are very feeling like they're on top of the world, feeling like they have no one that can come in their way. Eric from True Blood. That's a good one, too. That's a good one, too. And also their supernatural powers, I think um, that has a role to play in their grandiose behavior as well. You know, because they have this ability to run quickly or they have, like, this super strong ability to do things, it even fuels that idea that they are powerful. Okay, Before we wrap up, I have a little surprise for you. Okay, what? All right, so throughout my research, I found something just like on accident, and I just had to share it with you. So I highly doubt you've heard of it, but I'm going to name it for you. So there's this thing called Cotard syndrome. Cotard syndrome? Yeah. Mm, I watched a lot of Criminal Minds, but... This one hasn't come up yet. (laughs) 
So, okay, this one is interesting because it's actually a syndrome where people have a lot of misidentification with themselves. So what has happened with this particular syndrome is that people have this delusion that they somehow don't exist at all. And sometimes they believe that they're dead or they lost their soul or have no organs. Sound familiar? Like a vampire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a vampire, yeah. So this is actually a real syndrome. However, you can't be diagnosed with it in the DSM-5, which is how psychiatrists, psychologists diagnose mental health conditions. If you were to be diagnosed with it, it's very likely that you would probably be diagnosed with schizophrenia, with delusions, or very severe schizoaffective disorder, or even depression with psychosis with delusional thought processes. So it's not necessarily in the DSM-5, but it could be diagnosed and it's just very rare, but I had to share it because I thought it was interesting. Yeah, that's super interesting. Oh, my god, That's gosh. totally vampires. It, <laughs> it's vampires. It is. it is. I mean, that's what vampires are. They're they're dead or they don't really exist, you know? they Their organs don't work inside of them anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's actually some research that shows that some of these people also feel damnation or rejection. They also are insensitive to pain, which vampires also feel that as well. And they have immortality. So definitely, I mean, I think that has to be right. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, well, this has been super <laughs> fun. This is my favorite episode so far. Definitely. So it was super fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Don't forget, you know, to, you know, leave us a review on Instagram or whatever platform you're listening on because we absolutely love reviews. We do love them and we love sharing them. And you know, it's, I know that we do talk about a lot of serious topics, but October is going to be fun because Halloween is one of our favorite, favorite days. And so mm -hmm. it's not over. You know, we're going to be having another episode, a candid conversation where we'll be talking about weird phobias. Yep. And I'm excited to do that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're also going to be talking about the new Netflix series starring Sarah Paulson, ratchet i can't wait to watch it Kristen has been telling me to watch it so i cannot wait to psychoanalyze the crap out of it <laughs> yes it's a it's a good show it's based on the character nurse ratchet from the book and the movie one flew over the cuckoo's nest so basically oh. it's this nurse who works in a mental hospital but she's not really a nurse she just pretends to be one and there's a lot of uh, mental illness in that show and the representation of it is what i'm really interested to see Heather's take on. So we're giving you a chance now to go ahead and watch the series ahead of time, but definitely we'll be sharing specific examples and and uh, definitely describing what we see in the show. So you won't want to miss that episode because it's going to be really fun. I can't wait. Okay, guys. So don't forget to subscribe, like Heather said, and leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at psychwinepop at gmail.com. Until next time. This podcast is not meant to replace or supplement medical advice from a health practitioner. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. 